You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church slash messages. Oh, Father God, we humble ourselves before you, and we ask you to move in a special way here, God. I know there's people who are here in person, and there's people who are watching online, and I pray that you move in hearts, God, in a life-changing way. Move in the heart that's not expecting anything. Move in the heart of the person who has heard a million messages, Lord. Would you just have your way? Holy Spirit, work here. God, we need you in our country. Our country needs to turn to you, and I pray that we humble ourselves and we seek your face, God. We turn from our wicked ways, and we cry out to you. Heal our land. Heal those who have uh, COVID, Lord, as well as other diseases as well. Heal our president and his wife and family, God. I just pray for healing over everyone, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. We need you, Lord. May we awaken. May we become spiritually awake to our great need for you, Lord. Change hearts, God. I pray that people are changed after hearing this, Lord, and Above all, God, right now, I pray that by your grace, your Holy Spirit works in and through me and you put your words inside of my mouth. Direct my thoughts here, God. Set this, set this, uh, set this on fire, God, that we may all burn with your word, God. So speak to us, God, young and old, sinner and saint. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. 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 We need God, don't we, church? We need him desperately, so desperately. I'm so excited about this series, guys. So let me uh, just tell you a little bit about about this. And I'll start off with a question. Um, Who am I? Who am I? That's what we're looking at. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Who am I? Uh, I'm not talking about your occupation, what school you go to, what job you have, what's your relationship status, your title, anything like that. I mean, who are you on the inside? Who are you when no one else is around? That was the question a man named Moses asked God. That was his question. We're starting this brand new series, and if you've ever struggled with identity, if you've ever struggled with abandonment or feeling afraid, if you've ever doubted whether God hears your prayers, if you've ever felt like God is asking you to lead something that's way over your head, or if you ever felt like you're in an impossible situation, If you've ever felt like you've been chasing after a dream, or maybe you're surrounded by difficult people, have you ever been tired on the inside? Nobody else knows it, but you know it, and God knows it. Have you ever been at this place? If you answer yes to any of those, I want to encourage you to attend, to watch online, visit, whatever it is. Don't miss Thorn Creek Church for the next eight weeks. How many weeks, church? Eight weeks. Do not miss church. My prayer is that you have a genuine encounter with God. At some point, maybe it'll happen right now, you have a genuine encounter with God, and I pray that you see your life with a new perspective, and maybe through the eyes of Moses a little bit. So, who is Moses? Who is Moses? Maybe for you growing up, you remember this guy. Here's an old, old movie involving uh, Moses. Go um, yeah, there he is. Uh, maybe that's who you think about. Every time I see that, I think of Moses. 
Moses. You know, I think about that. That's what I think about it. He's such a good looking Moses, isn't he? Um, here's another Moses. He came out on a Bible series. Uh, he, he looks a little bit sad, but I think he's humble. And, and, and I like this picture right here. I like this picture right here. So Moses is the principal author of what's known as the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is, are the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's what, that's, those five books are attributed to Moses as the principal author. Now these five books, are the, it's like the foundation for the rest of the Bible. It's the foundation for the rest of the Bible. So, so a little bit about Moses, because you have to, to appreciate his life, I want you to understand the background behind Moses. So if you turn all the way back into Genesis, right before you get into Exodus, you hear about this guy named Joseph. Joseph was the son of a guy named Jacob, and he had many brothers, and Joseph was favored. And eventually his brothers sold him into slavery, and he was sold him into slavery going to Egypt. So he ends up in Egypt, and he goes through a lot of hard times, and eventually he becomes like the VP of operations for all of Egypt. Pharaoh and Joseph are friends. The God puts favor in the heart of Pharaoh, and Joseph becomes his right-hand guy, his right-hand right hand dude. And eventually, uh, eventually Jacob dies, and eventually um, God uses Joseph to bring all the Israelites to Egypt, and they, and they end up settling in this town called Goshen. So they're living in Goshen, and when they show up there, there's about 70 or 75 Hebrews that end up moving to Goshen, and the reason why they're moving there is because of a famine. So literally, God uses Joseph to save the lives of this entire Hebrew nation, 70, 75 strong, that will eventually become a great nation. And it's a crazy story because God used his brothers who were full of jealousy and anger and rage over Joseph and sold them to Egypt and this kind of thing, and it's just a marvelous, marvelous story. So now, Joseph, and his, the Hebrews, 7075, living in the land of Goshen, and they're there for about 350 years, living in Egypt. And life is good. Pharaoh says, look, you can have this land, and you, we'll take care of you, and you can live there. But eventually, Scripture says that Pharaoh died, and a new Pharaoh rose up. And this new Pharaoh rises up, and he's looking at the Hebrews, and guess what? These Hebrews, they know how to have babies. I mean, they are popping them out over and over and over. And eventually it becomes a, just a big number. And, and the new Pharaoh looks at how many people there are. They're no longer 70, 75. Some people say as much as a million. And, they, and there's so many of them that now this new Pharaoh looks at them and says they're a threat. So the new Pharaoh, and scripture says, who knew nothing about Joseph, who did not know Joseph, this new Pharaoh looks at all of these Hebrews and says, this is a problem. So he wants to make them slaves. And during this time, Pharaoh says, this is what we're going to do. And he tells all of these, these women, these, these, these uh, midwives who, who help out, they were Hebrews as well, who help out in delivering the children. He said, okay, midwives, if a baby is born and if it's a boy, I want you to kill him right on the spot. Well, the midwives feared God. And they said, we ain't going to do that. 
So they didn't do that. And in fact, Pharaoh confronted them and said, hey, I told you to kill all of these boys and they're still having babies. What's going off? And they totally lied. And they said, look, the Hebrew women are strong and healthy. They have babies so fast, we can't get there quick enough. It's a total lie. And, 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 and the babies just kept coming. And eventually, what Pharaoh said was, he said, look, here's what we're going to do. Every baby that's a boy, we're going to throw them in the Nile River. That's what we're going to do. So that became the, the mandate. Every baby boy Hebrew was to be thrown in the Nile River because the midwives weren't doing their job. Well, there was this woman. <laughs> she had a baby. And she uh, had him for three months. And he was getting too big. And she said, this isn't going to work anymore. So she put him in this wicker basket and said, <clears throat> we're going to keep him in there. We're going to float him down the river and see, and see what happens. So Moses' sister was watching the whole thing. And the wicker basket kind of floats down the Nile River. And there's this woman who had to take a bath. She just happened to be Pharaoh's daughter. Happened to be Pharaoh's daughter. You know, God is a God who's on purpose. He does things deliberate. He's an intentional God. You're not here by accident. Nothing happens by accident. God put it in the heart of this daughter of Pharaoh to go down and take a bath at a certain time. And God put that wicker basket there at the exact time. I mean, just give that some thought. Just blows your mind how God is so intentional. Nothing happens by accident. So this, this daughter of Pharaoh opens it up and sees this beautiful baby. And she says, oh, I'm going to name him Moses. The name Moses means to pull out or draw out of water. That's what it means. So that's where it comes from, literally. And then, and then she ends up, and you keep reading the story. It's a crazy story because they need someone to nurse her. And the daughter who's watching from a distance runs up and says, I have an idea. I know a Hebrew woman who just had a baby and she could nurse. And it was literally Moses' mother who nursed Moses. But Moses is raised in a palace. So here's where we're at. We're going to start at Exodus chapter 2. And this weekend, guys, the Lord just put it in my heart. I think we should stand up and listen to the word of God. So would you stand up? And the verses will be on the screen. This is back in the book of Ezra. People would stand up when they would hear the word of God. If you're watching online, that doesn't excuse you. I want to encourage you to stand up and stand in front of your TV or flat screen or your phone. And um, let's look at this. Years passed. Years passed and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go to see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, hello, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, 
Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Let's read verse 11 out loud, church, right where you're at. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead people? <clears throat> Lord, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, church. Thank you so much. Verse 11 is uh, the verse we're looking at. And the question is, is who am I? So let me go ahead and I want to make sure this question is in the forefront of our thoughts and lines here. Make sure everybody can see it. <clears throat> if you can't see it, you can come to the front row and sit on the floor if you want to see it a little bit better. Um, who am I? Everybody see it over there? Everybody got it? <clears throat> I want to make sure. Rachel, you see it over here? It says, who am I? You got, you got it? Matt, you're good back there? Who, who am I? Um, <clears throat> that's the question that Moses asked God. Now, look at this question. This question is more of a self-assessment, self-exploratory kind of question. It's full of humility. It's, it's God, I don't, I don't think I'm the right guy. <laughs> God, don't you know who I am? God, are you sure about this? You have this big plan and you want to use me to deliver your people out of Egypt? Who am I? Who am I to do something like that? Behind this question is a lot of doubt. Behind this question is an awareness of who he really is. I'll have to be honest with you. There's times I look in the mirror and I'm not proud of who am I? Anybody with me? You ever look in the mirror and you think, you know what? I don't like me. I don't like that side of me. <laughs> I, I don't always like what I do or what I say. I don't always like the thoughts that I entertain. I don't always like the decisions I make. I don't always feel that. And you might think, you know, as a pastor, like I shouldn't wrestle with anything, but pastors are human. Anyway, you, you know what I'm talking about. Anybody know what I'm talking Don't make me feel like I'm preaching alone up here. Help me out, church. You talk back to me, I'll preach better. Um, <clears throat> um, who am I? Like, what, 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 why, am I, why am I doing this? And maybe you could identify with me. Maybe there's another side to you that God sees that you maybe wish he didn't see. 
Maybe there's thoughts that run through your head. Thoughts that you maybe thought, the kind of thoughts where if your spouse knew the thoughts you had, maybe you wouldn't even be married. Maybe the kind of thoughts where if your, if your friends knew the kind of thoughts you had, maybe you'd be losing friends. Or maybe if your job side, if they knew what the kind of thoughts you had, they probably wouldn't look at you the same way they look at you. You know, those kinds of, who am I? And God calls Moses and he says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Think about this, guys. This is the house of the Lord. The very presence of God is in this place. And in churches all over the world. And Moses is wrestling with this question of, who am I? See, this was Moses' struggle. And to help you understand Moses' question, you have to go back to chapter 2. In chapter two, you read a little bit about Moses. Like there's this gap, you know, he's found in this wicker basket and the daughter of the Pharaoh raises him. And the next time he kind of comes up on the scene, he witnesses this Egyptian fighting this Hebrew. He sees it go down and there's something inside of him that he doesn't like. And you know what he does? He jumps and this is like a street fight. He jumps in the, in the situation, he gets involved in the fight and he actually kills the Egyptian. He kills the Egyptian and he buries the Egyptian in the ground. He murders the Egyptian. And he's thinking nobody saw this, but the next, next few days or so, there's a couple of Hebrew guys and they were fighting and Moses said, stop fighting. And they, and they told him, what are you going to do? You're going to kill us like you did that Egyptian? And all of a sudden he's fearful that what he did has spread all over through social media and everybody knows about it. You know what I mean? He's really afraid that this is now public. You know, sometimes that, that's what we do. It's the power of the enemy. We like keeping things a secret. And we don't want anyone to find out. We say, God, let's just keep this between you and me, and I'm going to count on the fact that you're going to forgive me for my sins. Sometimes we just want God's forgiveness just so we can go back to sin again. Hello. Where's the mic at? I need to drop it on that one. Sometimes we, need, sometimes we say, God, forgive me for the whole purpose of taking away our guilt and shame so that we can go back and eat the dog vomit again. Moses looks at himself in chapter 2. And he's a murderer. He's a murderer. He has blood on his hands. And he buries the guy. And he's running. He's a fugitive. He's a wanted man. And in fact, when you keep reading about him in chapter 2, he marries this woman named Zipporah. And Zipporah, they have a baby. And the, the, the name of the baby indicates where Moses was at. Check this out. Verse 22, chapter 2. Later she gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom. For he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. Gershom means literally a stranger. So you see what's inside of Moses? Guilt, shame, murder. The guy has a rap sheet. <laughs> He's running from it, running from the law. And he has this baby and he names the baby a stranger, because he feels like he's a wanderer. He's a drifter. He doesn't have a place to hang his hat, so to speak. He's, a, he's just a stranger in a foreign land. He doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere. Anybody feel that? Doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere. Doesn't feel like he's loved by anyone. He's got this new wife, and he's still working through all kinds of emotions. Who am I? 
Who am I? I think his soul was drifting. You ever been there before where your soul is drifting and you don't really tell anyone, hey, my soul is drifting, but you know inside you're just not at a good place. You know inside you're saying, please don't pick me. There's no way I could say anything. You know, inside, you're just not at a good place. Um, this song, Who Am I by Need to Breathe. I need to read you some of their lyrics. You guys can YouTube this song if you want. Um, but here are some of the lyrics. It says, while I'm on this road, while I'm on this road, you take my hand. Somehow, you really love who I really am. I push you away still. You won't let go. Oh, man. You grow your roses on my barren soul. You identify with any of those lyrics right there? You ever try to push God away, but he won't let go. Glory to God. He, I love that line. You grow your roses on my barren soul. Even in spite, sometimes. Even in spite. You're here breathing right now because the grace of God is over you. And God wants you to turn to him with all of your heart. And then he goes on to say this. Last night, Confidence was shaken. Hmm. My wounds and my past was saying, no one should ever love me like you do. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I to be loved by you? I'd love to sing this song to you, but I don't got a voice like Bear, so I can't sing a song like him. <laughs> Some of you can identify with these lyrics. You try pushing God away, and God says, no, I'm not going to let you go. Your confidence has been shaking. Like, God, I know I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to, I should know better, and, you, and you're just not at a good place, or your wounds in your past are speaking to you, whatever it is. Hear this. The most beautiful place on earth, the most beautiful place on earth is where the broken heart meets the redemptive heart of God. That's the most beautiful place on earth. It's not Rocky Mountain National Park. It's not Hawaii. It's not any place on this earth. The most beautiful place is where the broken heart meets the redemptive heart of God. And, and, and here Moses is saying, who am I? See, he's at this place right now where he looks at himself and he's thinking, there's nothing about me that's attractive to you, God. There's nothing about me, God. Look, look past me, God. You have the wrong address, God. There's nothing about me. It's like he has shelved all of his pride and all of his ego, and he's just, he's, just not, he's just not there. You know, God showed his love for us the ultimate way. It's through sending his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. God sent Jesus Christ into the world to go to the cross for you and for me, so that he could become a sacrifice for our sins and take away literally the wrath of God. So that we, simply by putting our faith in Jesus, the risen one, we could experience the forgiveness of our sins. Right where you're at. You could experience the forgiveness of your sins. You could live a life without any guilt or shame or any of that stuff. And, and, and it changes your identity. It changes who you are. Moses asked God, do you know, do you know, I mean, who am I? Who am I, God? This is what he was feeling. He was feeling <clears throat> shame, guilt, inadequate, unusable, unworthy, wanderer. You know, let me just say this. You can't always believe your feelings. I'm so glad that God overlooked Moses' feelings. 
I'm so glad God say, yeah, I know how you feel, but I see something else in you. I'm so glad. And we have to be careful with our feelings. Just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean it's true. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them, did you hear that? <laughs> just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean it's true. Just because you feel like that person is angry at you doesn't mean it's true. Just because you feel like all churches are hypocrites doesn't mean it's true. Just because you feel like all men are scumbag doesn't mean it's true. Just because you feel like it's a waste of time doesn't mean it's true. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's true. Some of you, your whole life is based on your feelings, and your feelings drive everything. If I don't feel it, I'm not going to stay. I don't feel this happening, so I'm going to leave. I don't feel like this is a church, so I'm going to go somewhere else. I don't feel like it. And it's, it's other people's job to make you feel a certain way. But I want you to hear this. Your feelings can prevent you from experiencing a better life. Your feelings can prevent you from accepting someone else's love. Your feelings can prevent you from experiencing God. Your feelings can prevent you from being plugged into a church and growing with other body of believers. Your feelings. Your feelings. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. Some of you are driven by your feelings in life and you define relationships based on how you feel. You have to be careful. So I asked God as I was working on this message, I said, all right, Lord, give me an insight to this word. The question Moses asked God is, 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 who am I? That's what he asked him. He says, who am I? So, so I look at this and I'm thinking, I, I was like, Lord, sh show me what's happening here. Show me what's happening here. And this was Moses, this is his problem. This is his core. And he tells God, who am I? And the Lord showed me something. I want to show it to you. The Lord showed me. I'm so excited about this, guys, because the rest of the relationship between God and Moses, you know what God does with Moses? The rest of the life of Moses, this is what he does, and I believe God wants to do this with us, is he does this. God does this. I'm going to switch this now. It becomes a whole different statement now. God shows Moses who I am. Did you guys see that? Did I go too fast? Let me go again. Let me go again. Because you guys, some of you, don't, yeah, you were looking at Snapchat or something. See, who am I? And God shows him, let me show you what, let me show you who I am. Glory to God. Hallelujah. God shows Moses who I am. Look at the rest of the story of Moses. Everything God does for Moses is all about God showing Moses who I am. In fact, you can make an argument. This is good preaching, guys. You just don't know it. In fact, you can make an argument that the rest of the life of Moses was predetermined by his question of who am I. And he shows it. He shows it. Let me say it like this. Moses asked God, who am I? And for the rest of Moses' life, God answered with, who I am. Some of you need to know the God of who I am. You need to know that God because you're focused on yourself. And God wants you to see who he is. 
It's not about you. And Moses doesn't get that. Moses thinks it's about him, which is really interesting because he calls himself the most humblest person on the planet, which is really weird because I feel like that's a little bit of pride saying I'm the most humblest person. But anyway, it's another story. But he calls himself that and, and God wants him to know this is who he is. So like God is flexing. God is just flexing. Like the whole life of Moses, that's what he's doing. Check it out. Verse 12. Here's God's answer to the, to the who am I. God answered, I will be with you. It's just like, you know, done. Okay, there it is. <laughs> God's going to be with you. There it is. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt and you will worship God at this very mountain. So God tells Moses, I will be with you. But you have to remember, Moses doesn't know God. Not like in a tight, personal way. See, you can go to church all the time and not know God. You can sing and not know God. You can grow up in a Christian home and not know God. And you can say all the right things and not know God. The Pharisees knew a lot of scripture. They didn't know Jesus, though. You could do that. Moses didn't understand the significance of God being with him. In verse 13, it says, but Moses, what? But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Now, this is really interesting. How do you negotiate? How do you protest with God? I mean, when, when, when you die, and I think there's a good chance all of us are going to die, and you're standing before God, what reasons are you going to give God? I mean, really. What are you going to say that you feel like God hasn't heard? What are you going to say that you feel like God doesn't know what you're going to say? When God asks you, is Jesus Christ or you know, Lord of your life, what do you say? As of right now, yes. <laughs> what are you going to say? Why didn't you accept my son while you were on earth? What do you say to that? Well, God, why didn't you be part of my church? Well, God, you don't understand how things work down here. What are you going to say? Why that hatred in your heart? What do you say? Verse 14, God replies to Moses. <clears throat> I am who I am. The ultimate I am statement. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The phrase I am who I am has been translated I am that I am, I am who I am, and I will be what I will be. It literally evokes the personal name of Yahweh, which was never to be uttered during the days of the Old Testament. Nobody said Yahweh. It's his personal name. This is different from like, I am watching a video, or I am, you know, his father, or I am eating. It's, it, this is different, different from those. Um, it's different from that verb to be. The fact that God said, I am, what's your name? Well, it's I am. This is a standalone description. It's the ultimate statement of self-sufficiency self-existence, and immediate presence. It means God's existence 
is not contingent upon anyone else. It means God's plans are not dependent on other circumstances. It means God's faithfulness is not contingent on anyone else. God's love is not dependent on your love. God is unchanging. He's ever-present. He is completely sufficient in himself. Nobody else like him. I remember a few years ago, quite a few years ago, we used to have a men's Bible study, and we would meet at Perkins on Thursdays at 6 a.m. Any of you remember those days? We're going way back. And there would be a group of guys that I would meet at Perkins, and it grew quite a bit. We would have sometimes as many as 20 people, 20 men, show up at 6 a.m. at Perkins to go through the Bible. So um, I remember I was, I was in a tough spot. You know, I feel like life as a pastor, just like, just like you, it's up and down. And, and uh, I, was, I was telling God, God, I just need to know that you're with me. That was my prayer. Have you ever say those kinds of prayers? Like, God, I just need to know you have your eye on me. I just need to know you're hearing my prayers. I just need to know you're, you have my back here. And I was kind of at that low place, and, and I'm so grateful God has patience. Aren't you glad God has patience for you? Aren't you glad for that? And, and, and you know what, what happened? I was driving on my way to that men's retreat, and I remember I was on 136, and I was about to get on I-25, and there was this car that was right in front of me, and we had a red light, and the car right in front of me had a bunch of numbers, like four or five. I was looking at the license plate. It had like, you know, whatever it was, two, six, seven, eight, whatever it is, or three letters. But the last three letters, you know what the last three letters were? I A M. I am. I am. And I saw that, I knew God just was like, okay, Reuben, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm sharing something very personal. You have any of those personal moments with you and God that's just like undeniable that God is, is, is with you? You, you, you want to go a little bit deeper here? You guys want to go a little bit deeper or is this enough for you? You go a little bit deeper? You look at the life of Jesus. Jesus was being questioned. I'm going to read verse 58 here, Lexi. Um, chapter 8 of John, the Pharisees are questioning Jesus and they're just harassing him. And Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. That was like, you know, that was, uh, <clears throat> that was under the, below the belt, this one right here. I mean, I mean, Jesus is like trash talking with the Pharisees right here. Because when he said that, the Pharisees knew that Jesus was making himself equivalent to God. Because he said, before Abraham was even born, I am. Jesus, he's always been around before the creation of the world. I am. And then when you break it down and you look in, in, in the gospel of John, there's seven famous I am statements. Do you know them? That's the reason why Jesus over and over, he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd, and I am the true vine. All of those are, Jesus is saying, God and I, we're one. The Father and I are one. And it's the same thing that you read out of Exodus. And look at Moses, chapter four. He just doesn't get it. He says, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? When I read this, 
I thought, and I preached about this a few weeks ago, if you, if you saw that message, but I thought, you know, we can be what if people. You know what I'm talking about? That what if person always has a reason why it won't work. That what if person always has a reason why they shouldn't go. The what if person always has a reason why it won't happen. The what if person always has an excuse. And you know what? It's like bottomless fries at Red Robins. It's just like, it's just always there. There's always a reason. What if, you know, well, what if, what if this happens? You know, what if the sun falls? I don't know. I mean, there's always a reason. What if I fail? What if I get hurt? What if I get sick? Hello. What if something worse happens? What if? A what if life can paralyze your faith. God wants to show you who he is. God wants to show you who he is. I love God's response to Moses. Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. So this is crazy. I mean, Moses is protesting and and God just says, hey, yeah, so what's that in your hand? It's like me holding on to this water bottle. It's like, it's, it's, like, it's just a water bottle, God. It's like, he's a shepherd. And he's like, what's that in your hand? He's like, it's a staff. What, what's up with his staff? And of course, I mean, Moses becomes famous with holding this staff. It becomes his identity. It's like that guy who wears the favorite hat all the time. I mean, this is his identity, his, his staff. God tells him, throw it down, it becomes a snake, and he picks it up, put, it gets water, you know, pour, it'll become blood, and all crazy, kind of crazy stuff. But I look at that, and all of a sudden, it dawns on me here, when you trust God with your life, your ordinary becomes his extraordinary, your staff becomes alive. When you trust God with your life, that thing in your life that you overlook, that thing that you don't even see, that thing inside of you, that thing you own, when you trust God with your life, God can use the ordinary for his glory. You don't believe me? Moses had a staff. Samson had a jawbone. It's just a jawbone. David had a few rocks. They're just rocks. Elijah had, Elisha had Elijah's coat. Just a coat, just a jacket. Peter had a boat. Became a pulpit. A boy had a lunch, a couple of fish and some bread. That's all he had. There was this other guy who owned a donkey. That's all he had. Just always ate outside. There's nothing special about him. He just ate outside. And then there was this other man, pretty wealthy man. He owned a tomb. See, God can take the ordinary, that thing that you don't think twice about. Just look at it in your own personal life. Oh, I almost caught it. I hate flies. <laughs> Lord, kill that fly right now in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Just zap him, Lord. I don't know why Noah ever brought him. Just kill him right now. Lord, kill him, Lord. <laughs> that temper that you have, that's a problem. You give it to God, and it'll become like passion for God. Passion for him. 
He'll take the ordinary. That competitive nature that you have, wow. God can take that and it can become fuel for you to win as many for Jesus Christ, for the kingdom of heaven. That competitive nature that you have. Just last week, I was with Karen Overton. Karen Overton is one of our older senior adults. And, and, and someone rang the front door, and I was over here, and she was over here. And I heard her running to the front door. And I said, I'll get it. And she started running faster. And I'm like, well, game on. So <laughs> I'm racing Karen Overton to the front door. And I'm like, she has this fire inside of her, this competitive nature. That fear that you have can become incredible courage. That, re those re that relational skill that you have, that you could just make friends with a fence post. You know, some of you, you have that ability. You can just talk to a stranger. You surrender that to God. That big mouth, some of you have a big mouth. You just talk all the time. You surrender that to God. You'll be preaching on 16th Street, and God will be using that big mouth of yours. It's the ordinary that you give to God. Moses still doesn't get it. Verse 10 says this, but Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. And I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. I mean, what are you going to tell God? Seriously. Some of you believe you're just not enough. Not smart enough, pretty enough, good enough, whatever. Then the Lord, verse 11 says this. This is what God asked Moses. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Sometimes we can forget that God is God. You know that? We can just forget that God is God and you are not. And nothing's impossible for him. God made the body, every cell. God made you. And God's keeping your heart beating. God put breath in your lungs. And when you keep reading through Exodus, chapter 5 and chapter 6, you just see Moses continues to protest. Verse 22 says this, Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested. Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Did you hear what he said? Why did you? He still doesn't get it. And he's still saying, who am I? God keeps telling him, oh, this is who I am. God keeps telling him, oh, stay focused, church. God's trying to tell him who I am. And all Moses sees is, who am I? And now he's going back to his first, his first, you know, his first problem. Why did you send me? In chapter 6, it says this, but Lord, Moses objected, my own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen to me? And what does he say? I'm such a clumsy speaker. I don't know what you thought about Moses when you came to church. I don't know what you thought about him, but this guy, you think more about him than he thought about himself. 
I'll just say that. Sometimes we tend to elevate people. Well, the guy raised his staff and parted a sea, and he was able to throw his stick down and became snake. He was a rock star. It was all about God telling him who I am. Moses is asking God, who am I? God is telling Moses who I am. I was um, talking a little bit with Faith Chatton, and um, she's in for a break right now. And um, I had no idea, um, Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, God's question, or Moses' question to God about who am I was so special to her. And she, and she just, she told me that it was, and I asked her to put it down on paper, and she, she, she gave me permission to share this with you. She says, Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, is the verse that God used to call me into ministry. For years and years, I had questioned God's decision to use me in worship ministry. I constantly told God to use someone else because there were people far more qualified than me who would do a better job. After reading that verse, I realized that I was not alone in questioning God's decision to use me. Just as God wanted to use Moses, God wants to use me. He doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. <laughs> And ever since, he has taught me that serving in ministry was never about me or about my ability. It's about him and about his glory. Glory to God. Can you put your hands together for that, guy? Isn't that beautiful? You see, it's not about who am I. It's about who I am. Do you know that, God? When you discover who he is, it changes who you are. It changes. When you discover who Jesus is, it disco you discover who you really are, who I am. I am known. <laughs> I am loved by God. I am forgiven. I am cleansed by his blood. Glory to God. I am redeemed. I am saved. I'm a new creation. I'm born again. I am set free. I am healed. I'm a branch of the true vine. I am victorious. I'm an overcomer. I am chosen by God. I'm an heir of the King. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am a crown of beauty and a royal diadem. I am His handiwork. I am God's workmanship. I am created in His image. I am a child of God. I am His son. I am His daughter. I am His bride. I am the apple of His eye. I am not a slave. I am free. I am set free. I am like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. I am light. I am salt. I am more than a conqueror. I am crucified with Christ. I am hidden with Christ. I am bought by His blood. I am not my own. I am accepted by God. I am blessed and highly favored. I am the head and not the tail. I am adopted by God. I am His servant. I am qualified. I am powerful beyond measure. I am anointed. I am the righteousness of Christ. I am a co-heir with 
Christ. I am a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I am set apart. I am outwardly wasting away, yet inwardly being renewed day by day. I am holy. I am blessed. I am is with me. Say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Yes, I. God's so good. He is so good. Maybe you need to give your life over to Jesus. Let me just say, what are you waiting for? Good night. Maybe you need to discover the God who says who I am. Maybe, maybe, you need to, maybe you've been living life too long. Maybe, you, I mean, you're living life like this. Who am I? And that's, that's where you've been at. And God is just telling you enough. Enough. Maybe God wants to do a miracle in your life. Let me pray for you. Would you make a decision right where you're at? If you're watching on video, you can make the same decision. Make a decision to just let God have his way in your life. Life's too short. God, we humble ourselves before you. Thank you for your grace. You're so good. And if you need to ask Jesus into your heart, would you say this? Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I repent of those things. I change, I want to change the way I do life, God. Change my thinking, God. I choose to become a Christian right now. And put your Holy Spirit in me so I know right from wrong and give me a new power to live a life that's pleasing to you. Maybe others of you, you might consider yourself a Christian. Maybe you need to say this. God, use me. Whew. Take my ordinary, make it extraordinary. Take my staff and do a miracle. No more games, God. I give you myself. Thank you, Jesus. Because of you, because of you, we have a whole new identity. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.